0: Hello and welcome to Cybertech Talks, a podcast where we bring cybersecurity experts together for a conversation. This episode, we're pleased to welcome red teaming experts from JumpSec, the head of adversarial simulation Max Corbridge, and cybersecurity consultants Francesco Giulio and Sonny Chow. They've come on Cybertech Talks to discuss red teaming the cloud and to delve into the large shifts in perspective that are necessary for red teamers when they're looking at an on-premise versus cloud environment. Listen to hear them cover aspects such as initial compromise vectors, MFA slash conditional access, lateral movement, privilege escalation, data mining and more. We hope you enjoy the episode.
1: Hello, Max Corbridge here, Head of Adversarial Simulation at JumpSec, and I am joined by my two colleagues and good friends, Sunny and Francesco. Do you guys want to introduce yourself?
2: Yeah, mate. Um, My name is Sunny Chow. I've been a cybersecurity consultant with JumpSec for more than a year and a half now. Now these days I mainly do FSO simulation stuff with um, these two fine gentlemen here. <laughs> get away, Frank!
3: <laughs> Hello, everyone. So I am Francesco Julio. Been working with JumpSec for the last two years. My main tasks are working on adversarial simulation, assumed breach kind of projects. Uh, yeah, obviously I am in the red team with JumpSec and working with these two brilliant guys.
1: <laughs> lots of love straight away as the guys just uh, touched on there we've mostly got a background in adversarial simulation red teaming purple teams mdr edr efficacy reviews um etc and that is kind of the the premise of the talk today um i mean traditionally when you look at the work that we do um and we have done historically it's largely been on premise um but in the last i would say what two three four months we really start to double down on cloud um really kind of putting a lot of time and effort into that that space um we've we've seen some you know great results in that time as well we're very happy we've done some fully cloud red teams um And we've just been, you know, learning a lot. And that's really been kind of shared between the three of us. Um, So that's kind of the premise of what we wanted to talk about today, because we have been appreciating some of the differences between on-premise and cloud red teaming, mainly the large shifts in perspective that need to change when you're looking at an on-premise versus a cloud environment. And this has sort of all been born out of the fact that um, you know the cloud challenge is is everly really increasing and and becoming a, a more complex uh, situation both for defenders and for attackers. Um, and I think a lot of the kind of the work that we've been identifying and researching in is is coming down to the fact that people are adopting cloud far more quickly than they are able to securely implement the cloud. Um, and so we're seeing you know misconfigurations left, right, and center. We're seeing Um, just new abuse primitives that didn't exist before Um, and on top of that we've also got from the red team perspective that on-premise red teaming is a very kind of well established um, documented um, you know it's what 20 plus years old now Um, whereas cloud red teaming is very much still in its infancy and so um, we wanted to talk about that a bit today. Um, just full disclosure, most of our experience um, and our sort of interest so far has been with Azure. Um, that's mostly just based off the clients that we work with and what their preference is. Um, we do have experience with AWS as well, but if there are some things that you hear that feel a little bit more kind of Azure-focused, then, um, then that's, that's the reason for that. So we wanted to just kind of break straight into it with talking through some of the initial sort of compromise vectors and how they might look different for, you know, on-premise to a cloud environment,
2: as part of um, initial in, initial compromise in 2023, um, from a traditional on-premise Active Directory sort of infrastructure perspective, it is pretty hard to actually compromise some sort of externally facing web application or external asset to get into the internal environment of an organization. These days, I would say I would say it's more focused on the user endpoint actually delivering the payload by some mechanism, be it email, be it social media, be it Teams or else. But the goal would be to compromise the user's endpoint by means of a C2 implant, for example. But in terms of cloud, I'd say the user's identity uh, that can come into the forms of a MFA token, an access token, um, actual credentials, of um the user or even you know compromising the identity of an application itself which we will get into later in in more details
3: probably half an hour is not enough to to cover everything in in the cloud space right now and there's a lot of vendors as we can see that you know implement new features new platforms new solutions for everyone's needs but uh, we see these increasing, as Max was mentioning before, we see these increasing very quickly and people adopting these new technologies and they they mm, don't care too much into going in depth on how to secure these technologies. and. Yeah, as Sunny was mentioning, we see like a shifting in perspective from compromising uh, someone or something to deliver a payload to um, actually starting to look to compromise identities, accounts. And that is the, the main goal nowadays, because from one account, you can you can actually move forward inside a tenant or inside the cloud environment and, and, and compromise more.
1: I think with that as well, we're starting to see that being reflected Reflected a lot in, I guess you could say the kind of, not the revival, the renaissance maybe of certain tools um, that are being, you know, leveraged to help with that end goal of which we've now kind of discussed, you know, it, it's kind of that shift away from payloads and more towards compromise of session tokens or keys or whatever it is. Um, and so certain tools like uh, Evil Nginx, um, Evil Go Fish, I know, which integrates Evil Nginx with uh, Go Fish to be able to kind of put a, an end to end tack together in a pretty short space of time um to really go after those you know post authentication post mfa approved uh, session tokens which really are the kind of i guess i don't know would you say it's the frontier now it's kind of where the the, the battle is being fought you know, now nowadays that kind of one of those session tokens i would say goes a long long way uh, and that's one of the i guess the things that we've been learning over the over the you know the last Couple of months is really that kind of you know have to do, drop some of that sort of exploit and some of the implant related stuff and, and kind of really focus on the identities and the session tokens tied to those.
3: If I can just add to that, nowadays even though maybe phishing has slightly changed, we see techniques like domain fronting still be very relevant for yeah. this kind of attacks. So yeah, um, a few things have remained the same. But yeah.
1: I think that what you go what you target may actually remain relatively unchanged even if the end goal is to get you know a token as opposed to an implant running like you're still looking at staff as potential avenues there you're still looking at externally facing assets Um, you're looking for exposed data you know normally that would be credential breaches for example or like data breaches with credentials in them you may be looking at dehashed. this time it may be like github repos that have got adbs keys or whatever it is you know the 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 sort of avenue is is slightly changed. Sorry, the avenue stayed the same, but the end goal is, is, uh, is changed.
3: Perhaps before we used to look more for hard coded passwords, hard coded credentials, but now you really have to, you know, shift what things you're focusing on when you're looking for credential material, and you're actually gonna look for I don't know cookies, JWT, to- JSON Web tokens, and yeah, access refresh tokens and things like that.
2: So I would say. Um, within the on-prem now to cloud perspective change, you know, I'm grateful. What has stayed the same is, you know, people remain vulnerable to phishing. <laughs> so <laughs> that's a sad, you know, fact of security. But as um, somebody who wants to advocate better security for the, you know, business out there, I would say, obviously, want and need to be cognizant of the difficulties of deploying infrastructure in the cloud which is different, completely different. For example, um, the, sec- the traditional security model in on-prem would be you own the server, you you own the VM, uh, you pay for the software license once, or like once a couple of years, and then it's all yours. You can fiddle with them, whatever you can, how- however you want to collect your logs. But what we're seeing here, or now for cloud is, if you don't pay, you know, a premium price in, in with your with your cloud provider, you can't even get logs for, you know, your your cloud web applications. For example, you want to pull web logs from uh, on your. Um, Apache instance on on Azure or AWS, you need to you know actually ask for it, and they may not give you. Now I
3: was gonna say the responsibility model is shared with the customer now, but layer eight is still the weakest link in the in the chain. So uh, we know we know that you know customers don't sometimes don't fully comprehend the implications or what they're configuring and the new technologies they're implementing in the in the stuff. I
1: think like that's where a lot of the sort of the core issues are really coming down to when it comes to cloud security, because as Sonny mentioned, you know, on-premise, it was kind of clear who owned what, everything was yours. So everything was your responsibility. Now suddenly, you know, some parts, you've got the shared responsibility model, uh, definitely with with Microsoft. I know that's well-documented. I'm not sure. I would, I would assume AWS have the same um, in which, you know, there are responsibilities for the vendor and respons- responsibilities for the, um, for the client that's, that's using them. And sometimes it can get a little bit gray as to where responsibility falls, um especially when you don't have access to all of the you know security infrastructure like your logging, for example, if you haven't turned that on yet um and then it sort of i i think that one you know small change can kind of snowball and become quite a big gap that suddenly there are whole areas of you know major security which are kind of not being looked at or not being understood in the same way um as as maybe they were previously yeah,
3: I wanted to in a way kind of you know make the listener's picture what how the the, the kill chain is followed by in, 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 in. In the cloud, and perhaps, you know, we, we were mentioning before about the, you know, compromising access keys or refresh tokens and things like that. That's very sensitive material also because it becomes kind of easier to enumerate internal resources when once you, you know, once you have this kind of access, uh, even though it's not uh, username and password, you can then use. A plethora of tools that nowadays are are being developed almost as fast as Microsoft changes names to to their platforms and <laughs> Uh, and, you know, we see uh, tools like, for example, Road Rec on Road Tools, which I think he, 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 it's a good shot for everyone in, in this space that, you know, does red teaming and adversarial simulation um, against cloud. And with, with minimal type of access, you can start querying um, the, the vendor's public APIs and use tools like rod dragon or the new graph runner from uh, black hill you know make make this phase easier to 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 be carried out
1: i think when we were discussing this as well uh, i think this was francesco and i a while ago now and we were talking about some of the biggest differences that we felt and it kind of hit me like halfway through that i was like hold on no the, the biggest difference that we've kind of completely ignored up until now is that everything is now publicly facing? Well, I say everything. You know your your major APIs, and suddenly it goes from you know maybe you expose an Office three hundred and sixty five portal externally, which maybe has you know two FA, maybe it doesn't. Whatever you will be able to enumerate. You know, in, in the worst case scenario, perhaps you've got access to somebody's you know email or their Teams or whatever. Suddenly, if you compromise those tokens, now your entire kind of cloud infrastructure is publicly accessible and can be queried via an incredibly rich API. Um, and all of the functionality, whether it's, you know, executing code or whether it's you know, changing permissions or creating new users or anything for your entire kind of organization is now being sort of publicly you know exposed out there to the internet and that's a massive shift in terms of our susceptibility to potential compromise as well as you know the importance that we're putting on certain controls so we've seen Microsoft. MFA, yeah. Um, jumping and saying the MFA needs to be, you know, it's going to be enabled by default and then conditional access and the configuration and, and how well deployed that is it can be, you know, a massive game changer, making sure it's across all your services, et cetera. So it's, it, we're kind of the, the, the focus of some of the areas of security are getting, you know, hyper focused in some smaller areas because of the big shifts that we're seeing.
2: Yeah. Just for our listeners who are, you know, having a hard time, um, visualizing this um if you're familiar with active directory hacking or like um pen testing or whatever um imagine in um in the olden days or or even these days your domain controller is definitely behind a firewall like no one from the internet could query your domain controller what kind of users are there who, who who are the users in your domain but uh the graph api and the um uh, talk about Azure or and the um, Azure resource manager apis they are sort of like your cloud infrastructure's domain controller but but anyone in the world with a valid access token can query that so the access token becomes the firewall plus you know the the, the access control bits so it's um uh, there are goods and bads the goods would be uh, Microsoft is definitely a Update, patch their servers, you know, every week, so you don't need to worry about that front. But if you have any misconfiguration in your organization, uh, anyone in the in in the world in um any continent can query your your domain controller in the cloud, quote unquote. So uh, that's fun, and um <laughs> and these days, um, what I feel is different is also in terms of. Um, both in terms of sysadmins and in terms of security professionals, um, because admins have been configuring domain um, controllers for two, three decades now. Um, it's all inside and out, very known, um, we're well documented. Um, if you have some experience, um, some years of experience um, doing that uh, in a small to medium-sized organization, even if you're not a big organization, you have a good chance of doing it well if you put it... <laughs> well, a, put,
1: well. I mean, I think the three of to... us could probably give some arguments to the contrary of that as well, Both still on-premise. Um, you know, yeah, we, yeah, we still but... see some mistakes being made, but yeah, I, you know, the point still stands. There's, there's a completely different level of experience there.
2: Yeah, but imagine you have been doing this for a decade, um, on on prem active directory and then the company suddenly one day goes hybrid and you need to manage the cloud as well and the and there's no cloud expertise within the company and the the um active directory uh, admin suddenly has has to learn from scratch how to um you know configure um a cloud you know um organization or tenant so so that's where i well, we see a lot of pain point in you know smaller organization when dealing with the cloud these days.
3: Yeah, I think a lot of the sysadmins um, that have been on I don't know configuring Active Directory for years, decades uh, in their environment, they believe as you as you would assume normally that a lot of the skills you have. Um, accrued over the years are directly transferable because it's just about computers. I mean it's just someone else's computers. So I I need to configure it in the end. But but they're not directly transferable and you need to complement that with you know new knowledge and what's what are these vendors doing behind the scenes how do they how do they manage their infrastructure and really understand that shared model uh, to 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 go and target the misconfigurations you you may cause to your environment
1: and as well i think on top of that you've got the fact that you know these these cloud environments the features everything are changing so fast you know, new things are being added. Things are being taken away. New things are being made uh, default. For other things are, you know, being changed so they're not default anymore. And so, and then you've also got, you know, most. I would say, I think it's. Uh, I'm gonna have to plagiarize the uh, the actual number, but it's something like uh, seventy plus percent, I believe, uh, of organisations were uh, hybrid clouds, so multi clouds uh, in which case, you know, I, I, we've seen typically if you've got an active directory environment on premise and then you kind of go hybrid, then you're kind of leaning towards Azure. but if you've got a very kind of app heavy and developer focused group, then generally speaking that, that would live more kind of AWS world. And, so now you've got maybe that one person who doesn't have a ton of experience in the cloud full stop over the you know you know the last couple of years as they have done with the on-premise stuff. They've now got two different languages to learn, two different models, two different sets of features to understand, both of which are changing constantly. So it becomes a sort of ever increasingly difficult battle to try and stay on top of it and especially when and this is kind of what we'll we'll dive into in a minute is you know a lot of the things for, whether it's right or wrong a lot of the default behavior and default configuration settings in these cloud environments can be abused um and that is actually where we're seeing a, a wealth of attacks at the moment is leveraging what is often just a default setting in the environment that in other circumstances could be you know construed as or malicious or at least help in, in an attack chain which is kind of what we're gonna we're gonna talk about here as well
3: i love how uh researchers lately um Trying to weaponize the AI or AI models, Uh, you know, actually AI features that, for example, Microsoft is implementing in the uh, in the technology stuff. Um, to actually perform new novel type of attacks like um, I really like the example of GraphRunner using the immersive reader feature (laughs) offered by Microsoft where you can actually uh, go and read um, SharePoint drives and and fetch credential material out of it Uh, you will just see it in text it's not going to spell it out for you but this functionality can be abused to actually bypass some security controls because it's a text-to-speech feature that nobody will at Microsoft would probably think that some hackers could weaponize to retrieve credentials and stuff. And also uh, we actually did this on a couple of engagements where we were doing enumeration and fetched, I don't know, Teams charts and, you know, documents from drives, PDFs and just uh, feed it to something like private GPT and uh, get it to, to give you You know, inform decision and target the right people within an organization because maybe they talk about uh, sensitive content, or they are the CEO, or they mention uh, again credentials in their chats.
1: You've touched on something there, which is kind of something that I think we want to we should dive into maybe a little bit more, and that's kind of data mining on these jobs. So. Traditionally, on premise, you know, data mining, you know, essentially when it comes to trying to find sensitive data or, you know, data relevant to whatever it is that you're trying to red team. So let's say you're, uh, you know, stealing intellectual property, right? You know, that's you're going to be looking for data, searching through large volumes of data um, to be able to uh, kind of get to the the, the sort of actions on objectives that you need we've seen that change quite a lot in the transition to the cloud um, you know typically when we 're looking at data on premise um, you know now in the last couple of years we 're starting to just see you know SharePoint and whatever being rolled out everywhere um, but traditionally let's say we 'd be looking more at file shares uh, et cetera. Um, And you know what Francesco has just touched on there is the whole new sort of avenue of of data mining that is you know I think far more rich in terms of again we're coming back to that same point you know those credentials or those those authorization uh, tokens or set or keys or whatever from there you could dump you know all your team's messages or your emails or, or you know you have access to the SharePoint as well and now we're seeing that really where a lot of the Corporates and sensitive data is starting to live.
3: I think. I think if we if we move a bit more internally from the you know uh, external peri- perimeter perspective, we start seeing a uh, shifting the ways um, uh, attackers actually try to achieve persistence in an environment. Sunny was mentioning at the beginning. We, we, we wanna in a in a red in a standard red team, we want to uh, try and deliver payloads and then uh, uh, use some kind of um, mechanisms to. To keep it running, keep it calling back to our infrastructure. But now, um, let's say it, it, lateral movement and persistence are, have become almost mm, one single entity. And when you laterally move, in a in a cloud environment, you often are establishing persistence for yourself. or service principles and managed identities are the way to go to uh, kind of fly uh, under the radar and 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 stay stealthy. Often, can do that by compromising internal applications, for exa- for example, or you know uh, identities that are used by uh, by software applications internally developed. And, so. Uh-
2: uh- Bit of explanation uh, for our listeners who might not be that familiar with Azure Lingo. Um, managed Identity or Service principle are basically Microsoft speech for a service account for an application or for a VM or for you know um, a software entity in the cloud that does something. So sort of like an account but belongs belonging to a service. There are many. Many many advantages of compromising a service principle or so 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 for so called the service account um in, uh, in opposed to a user account. Uh, the first one is there are usually less alerts sent around logins as a um, application uh, as opposed to you know user accounts which which are often you know very heavily watched by defenders because they they tend to be the initial access um, avenue so being able to impersonate as an application would uh, allow you, so uh, as Francesco said, um, to fly under the radar more easily, and there tend to be less conditional access um, and MFA requirements for applications because you wouldn't usually expect your VM or web applications to be filling in, you know, MFA codes or <laughs> coming from all of uh, different IPs. For example, if you come from a you know hardware rack. Um, On-premise server um, sort of background, you wouldn't you wouldn't think about setting up an IP restriction for your application because because your application is. It's uh, right there behind, behind you in the server room. So it's definitely all, always that IP. But when it moves to cloud, it can be from anywhere, any CDN, any data center. And especially it can be from an attacker, other side of the world. So it's actually important to defend your applications now, these days. It is
3: worth to mention in this case, I think, Critical aspect of applications built in cloud, which is the, the metadata service that uh, every cloud environment offers to, uh, you know, machines, and the, it's use wasn't intended for uh, users, but some users, some users do leverage that. Um, so this service basically is just um, running from a, in almost all major cloud environments and can only be queried by an application or a virtual machine. And usually it, it returns details of this application and and so with it sometimes access and refresh tokens that belong to that application in order to allow the application to query other services or assets within the, the cloud environment. So an attacker that can successfully exploits an application that was developed in cloud may end up querying this service if they get for example a a, a reverse shell or remote code execution in general on that application to actually um, obtain the access and refresh tokens they need to to log in as that application so i think
1: as well another thing that's sort of interesting is applications are kind of the perfect example of things that should be in the cloud. You know, we're seeing a lot of cloud native applications. We're seeing serverless, we're seeing, you know, like Nginx as a service. There's loads of things which would make sense, you know, loads of cloud features, you know, historically, I would say applications were the kind of first things to get put into the cloud, and then afterwards, kind of the entire organisation has slowly started to get pushed up into the cloud as well. But I'm sure there are a ton of businesses out there on or organisations uh, with cloud-related, uh, sorry, cloud-hosted applications. And now I think that the sort of threat profile of having them is is slightly changing. I think typically, you know, we we've all done you know initial access on on-premise red teams. I would say we have you know there have been examples, um Francesco and I, I think you know the job we're talking of here, where we did manage to get um you know remote code execution as a potential on a web on a web server uh, as a uh, first kind of foot in the door uh, for an attack chain, but in that scenario and in I would say m- the majority of scenarios I would say the Im- overall impact of that is relatively limited, like typically. No, obviously there'll be edge cases, but you're running as the kind of service account for for that website, which means maybe you don't have many permissions beyond, you know, just that that one, you know, area that you're in, which is normally like the web route, you won't be able to potentially even get out of the web route, maybe you're in a Docker container, or you're in the DMZ, which means that, you know, the, the overall impact and how far you can go with that is sort of, somewhat limited i would say in most cases that's why at least for us it's not particularly favorable you know reliable route into an organization you know that's why we always come back to the human i think there could be an interesting one over the next couple of years where the amount of organizations who have cloud apps and the fact that once you've compromised a cloud app and you were able to use that to Reach out to the metadata service, find out, they essentially take the entire identity of that and then use that to authenticate back to the API where you've got, again, all of that access. You've got a much easier way of querying, you know, show me what uh, different objects within the estate I have permissions to, you know, communicate with, whether it's key vaults or databases or storage or whatever it is. And I think, you know, that is a much more usable Uh, sort of beginning step in an attack. So I think there may be, you know, there may be, you know, kind of, I guess, a renaissance, you could say, of of trying to use that as an initial sort of access vector perhaps.
2: Well, um, speaking of um, edge cases... I would like to give a counterexample. Recently, uh, uh, I've had another engagement in which the client is using the domain admin account to run a web server. So, <laughs> don't be that organization <laughs> <It's what laughs> for our audience. Um, so, we've covered uh, much of initial access as well as some of lateral movement. Do you, you guys uh, feel like talking about like what are the actions and objectives uh, in the cloud looks like uh, uh, compared with um, like traditional on-prem
3: stuff? How do, do they differ? Nowadays, when we want to act on our goals in our cloud environment, we don't want to become global admin. I mean, global admin is probably heavily monitored, uh, you know, every activity they do might Raise suspicion or blue team side, sock side, and so we don't want that. And we are happy with less privileges nowadays in cloud because of the misconfigurations we often see, and also the level of privileges that, although they are, they are. Uh, there's a separation between a, a highly privileged account and a less privileged one. Still, some some permissions overlap very often. So uh, we might not need a, a global admin to actually query all the resources in a production environment. We might just need to compromise the service principle that, uh, um, I don't know, for example, manages the 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 pipeline that you have uh, you are using in in your cloud environment and I'm referring to devops azure devops in, in particular here for example you you might compromise the identity used by a pipeline and actually have enough permissions to um to you know tamper with production services and um what says the same though is how do you demonstrate impact uh, at the end of the day and you may still want to retrieve sensitive data uh, so data breaching uh, retrieval of uh, personal identifiable information contained I don't know in storage accounts blob storages and so on you might abuse that in a different way to actually uh, deploy ransomware so uh, maybe execution of a ransomware attack may look slightly different so you're not double clicking on a on a malicious Payload to actually have your uh, all of your SMB shares interconnected machines to be uh, affected by the encryption of that ransomware. But what you can do is like achieving read-write permissions on the right databases and the right production storage accounts, and actually tamper with those and and. and, uh, and Download them and then perhaps re-upload them encrypted, or just use that that data that you exfiltrated, resell it on the black market, on dark web, and so on.
1: I think as well, one of the one of the interesting things you mentioned there was how, I guess you know, I would say it's not a sign of good red teaming if you are just doing a race to domain admin on premise, because you know the same principle kind of does apply, but in in reality there are so many paths to DA on on premise. Environments, there's so many well documented, and that you know, generally speaking, with that set of permissions, you can do whatever you need to do, to do in terms of you know actions on objectives and just demonstrating impact. But I think with global admin, I'm sure that you know that that is very much still the case. But as Francesco kind of mentioned, we're seeing that it's not always the the, the main kind of requirement, and I think a lot of that comes down to the fact that there are just there's so much more complexity that still isn't really understood when it comes to cloud environments and particularly in permissions and identity access management, et cetera, where, you know, there are so many hundreds of default roles, for example, that trying to understand the difference, the granular differences between them and and how to deploy least privilege access when you've got that many different accounts and sets of permissions, it can become an absolute headache to then try and say, okay, I'm going to, you know, lock it down to this person, but not that person. And actually, I think what we see is that it, it, often the you know in it in trying to do that you know people are get overly you know permissive accounts or uh, accounts which don't aren't, aren't called global admin but for all intents and purposes they have global admin you know permissions because permissions aren't really understood as as well as on on premise and so you know you're seeing a lot more misconfigurations which mean that actually sometimes global admin isn't the only option you've got
2: yeah, I'd like to go back to the, this point in which, for example, in traditional red teaming, you, you do Bloodhound and then you can find a path of least resistance to a domain admin or a hybrid user or, or whatever. And that, you know, primitive. Uh, pyramid-like structure of the privilege model—it's very clear, very easy to understand. But in terms of a cloud organization or tenant, as Max says, there are so many complexities and nuances in you know setting setting one up. Um, it's difficult, uh, you know, from the perspective of red teamer to understand. Okay, okay, now I'm in. Say I'm in. Um, which which of these are actually important to your organization? You know, you raise, you sort of have that you know conceptual difficulty in your mind in, you know, figuring out which sort of um, global admin would be actually damaging or, you know, would be, quote, unquote, the crown jewel to the organization. And that's the, you know, attacker half. But for the organization themselves or for sysadmins, you know, them having to deal with that complexity of, okay, which part of the organization or of the cloud infra is actually critical? It's actually uh, another difficult question for themselves to you know to be having internally
1: i uh, think as well we're seeing we're seeing a lot of the tooling kind of you know, that's, that's being released trying to help really map some of this out because as you say it is just so difficult obviously as your hound does exist um i would say i don't think it's quite where bloodhound is uh, in terms of how rich in functionality it is and features uh, etc um, there's, uh, I think it was literally today released, um, from with secure was ice cube, which is based on Kubernetes and mapping out the permissions between the Kubernetes, um, and some of the attack paths that can exist there. Um, we you know, we've talked about graph runner road, uh, road tools, et cetera. There's a ton of different ones. I don't think there's kind of one, you know, clear winner yet, but these are some of the tools. If you're listening to this, you're thinking, God, I, you know, there's, there's definitely some work I could do here to try and understand this. These are things that you can download, you can set up and you can run in your environment and have a quick look and hopefully try to start trying to identify some of these different attack paths that maybe, you know, uh, uh, when you're looking at the GUI, you don't immediately see. So I think, you know, approaching, the end of the the session i think we should do a a little bit of a summary and some of the sort of major kind of shifts that we've been talking about here because you know that's that's the kind of what we wanted to try and get across and the things that we've learned and i think the first one which has been kind of mentioned a couple of times um is that you know we are seeing a shift I don't want to say a shift away from an exploit centric red teaming, because I think that's going to really upset some people Um, to say, you know, saying that suddenly you don't need exploits anymore, et cetera, et cetera. You do, but uh, there are, you know, there are a lot more cases where you're abusing a misconfiguration now than you ever would be, you know, historically on premise. So while while popping shells, uh, you know, will still always be fun. There's a lot more kind of focus now on the identities uh, that you could compromise uh, and go from there. And sometimes that'll be, Far more valuable to you uh, than than any shell would be
2: yeah, um, what can we do better well we're, I would like to give a plug here because um, we're learning this as we go, and um, we would like to help the rest of the security industry uh, to train up you know more people more security people who are um, well versed in the cloud so um, we 'll be releasing JumpSec, um Public instance of um, vulnerable Azure environment, which will be a one-click install script, and which you can set up on your own, you know, free tenant. Uh, it's called Azure with three H, A H H Azure. and it will be released uh, in Q1 2024. So um, look out for you know our release uh, and blog blog post for for that front. Thank you.
3: Uh, if I uh, if I may add on. Um... What we can do better, perhaps there's a couple of points I want to add. I think for both um, threat researchers and, you know, attackers, uh, red teamers and system administrators or whoever configures the, uh, the cloud assets, the cloud environment, I think is critical to read through the documentation of each cloud vendor read the manual rtfm and um, that's very important also for red teamers because when you suck and you don't know what you're looking at it means uh, do go on the documentation offered by the vendor because Things are going to be way clearer. Do keep up with the threat landscape uh, nowadays because it's ever changing. It was ever changing before cloud was starting to be adopted, and is way more now. And we see big organization, government organization actually adopting cloud. So there's plenty of uh, you know new techniques, uh, abuse, um, primitives to abuse and new attacks to that. The attackers perform. And perhaps oh, one last one is don't forget defense in depth, starting from uh, layer one, going to layer seven to layer eight as well. So the human the, the human bit as well, always consider it. There's plenty of solutions and uh, defenses that can be implemented for that. Uh, do consider defense in depth. That. That's what I feel like to suggest to the
1: audience. Finally, I think... Um, for what we can do better, I think as, as researchers and, you know, from the, the kind of where we go moving forward, something that I've been thinking about quite a bit recently is how we are still largely in the world of abuse primitives and misconfigurations in the cloud. Um, and I, you know, said after a couple of beers not long ago to these two guys, um, that I think we are really in that sort of. You know, pre-dawn era of cloud security, where there's so much there's so much rich kind of exploit potential in the misconfigurations that we haven't really had to go that far into. You know, the actual exploits of the infrastructure itself, for example. Um, yes, I do believe that we've probably made less mistakes you'd hope uh, when it comes to the cloud and how the cloud has been set up. But you know, if you look historically uh, uh, on premise and you look at the you know the, the technologies that have been used, there have always been misconfigurations. There've always been you know, pure exploits in the in the actual infrastructure itself. And I don't think we've suddenly stopped making those mistakes because now we're in the cloud. Um, I think right now we've just got so much opportunity with the misconfigurations and the complexities and the fact that people are kind of setting it up and, you know, largely, you know, feeling somewhat overwhelmed with the amount of kind of options, et cetera, that we're, we're seeing that, you know, we're having success from the attacker's side. But I'm really excited for where, you know, cloud hacking, generally speaking, is going to go in the next couple of years. Um, and I know that we, you know, as a team, we really want to be part of that. Um, we're actually having a conversation, the three of us earlier today, about the kind of research that we want to do and hopefully trying to find some of these, you know, really get the ball rolling. You know, uh, you're looking at the, the kind of uh, technology, which is just being so heavily relied upon now, you know, at you know, organizational levels for, you know, like Kubernetes, et cetera, stuff like that, that we really want to start kind of diving into to this a little bit more with a kind of finer eye for detail, and see if there's anything, you know, of, of note there, and if we can't, you know, help to kind of push the sort of cloud security model a little bit closer towards that. Um Gentlemen, anything else from the two of you? From me, I'm I'm all good. I think we're right at the top of the hour. Perfect timing. Yeah, I
3: think there's. Yeah, it's also because the the technology is at its early stages. Uh, I think our approach should be to invest more in research into this space because you know that's a lot to to find out to discover for us it's uh, it's probably a new world to to discover and to explore and although there's a lot to to cover in this space i think we had a, a good run today and we covered quite a few things
2: i'd say If you want to get into cloud security, uh, register for a free tenant and spin up some infra yourself. It's the same as in the Active Directory days. Set up your own DA, set up your own DC. Now, set up your own Azure. Cheers, guys.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, everyone. Thank you.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode. And a big thank you to Sunny, Francesco, and Max. Providing insight into the shift in perspective necessary for red teamers when targeting cloud environments. We look forward to bringing you more episodes with cyber experts. Make sure to subscribe and follow the podcast on X and LinkedIn for further updates. This podcast was brought to you by Crest, an international not for profit membership body representing the global cybersecurity industry.